0: Thank you. It is a delight to always enjoy being at Ocean County. I think back to the many, many times that I've had the, the privilege of to see so many familiar faces. Some places I go, you can identify with this, you don't know a soul until you get there. And it's nice when you go and you feel like you're at home, it's like a, a membership on the road. And that's how I feel. Appreciate it uh, so very much. Are we going in and out on this by chance? You want to do this? All right, it sounds good. All right, take your Bible, if you would, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 85, if you would. Did you not enjoy the music today? Wasn't that a blessing? Boy, praise the Lord for it. Amen. I love music, but I am not a participant. I am an observer. Um, I came to that when, well, I always had suspicions, but I really came to that when we were in our car and my... Granddaughters were in the back, and my wife was with me. And she's my wife started the sing. She's got a lovely voice. The granddaughter started the sing, and so I thought, well, I'll join in. So I did, and the four year old granddaughter did this. No, Papa, no. <laughs> and so I realized that is not a gift I possess, but I sure appreciate those who have it. And these folks are incredibly talented and dedicated to the Lord, and that's what's so wonderful, Amen, about their life. And um, you just you just sense that and you feel that. And we did it last evening for sure, and it was a blessing, and again today. So we're grateful for that. By the way, they have some CDs out there. If you walked in and didn't catch that, um, I don't know if they're going to say something. I'm going to say something. So pick those up, and I think they're a donation, isn't it, to make a generous donation, generous donation to that, and uh, get to carry good music home. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. It's a blessing. Uh, if you're a guest today, I don't know that we have any, but if you are, let me challenge you to be back next Sunday when you get to hear the pastor preach. One of the negative things about a guest speaker is you don't get to hear the pastor of the church. So let me challenge you to be back. I know he'll be a blessing to your heart and encouragement to your life. And uh, I know that the message, whatever it is that God puts on his heart, will make um, make you a better person, because it's from the Word of God. And uh, God will use His Word to make a difference in hearts and lives for sure. Forty years of God's blessings on this church. Not a miracle. Think about that, all of these many, not just years, but decades that God has used this church to impact not just this community, but around the world, and that's to be commended. Your pastor and his wife have served for 25 of those years, and so that in itself is a testimony for which we're grateful, so praise the Lord for that. Every time I come, those of you who know me well know that I marvel at this carpet. I marveled at this carpet. And I got thinking, Pastor, I saw those pictures of people. This carpet looks better than most of those people the, from, from way back yonder, myself included. Oh my gracious, but uh, that's just a side note. I know you're gonna be remodeling this auditorium at some point. I think I'm gonna buy the carpet, Pastor, I don't know. Get my hands on it and put it in some new church somewhere and tell them you got 45 more years on this carpet. Uh, it's incredible. All right, Psalm 85. Let's jump into the message. Someone said, Blessed is the preacher who can get airborne without using too much runway. So we're, we're there right now. Psalm 85 and verse 6. Uh, the psalmist said, Wilt thou not revive us again? Now, notice that word again. You know, many times we have a great relationship with God. We walk with him, we're filled with his spirit, we're focused on his word, we're reaching people. We're obedient, and then we begin to slide. We begin to diminish. Our passion is drained. Our, our focus gets blurred. And so revival, sometimes, it has to come again to us. Not salvation, obviously. Once we're saved, we're always saved. But many, many times, we live as if we're not saved. And that's what revival's all about. And we need it again, again. And so he says, wilt thou not revive us again? And then I love the statement, that thy people may rejoice in thee. Without any question, this verse is a call to revival. And on your 40th anniversary celebration, that's the burden that God placed upon the heart of your pastor. The, the desire to see this church and every individual of this church revived. Now, it's interesting to me when you ponder this verse that uh, revival and rejoicing are connected. Did you get that? He said, will thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice? You know, this has been an incredibly challenging year. We would all agree with that. 2020, are you kidding me? I mean, we would have all pushed the button just to go to 2021 if we could have back in January. If we had known all of this, someone said to me recently, when do you think we'll get back to normal? I said, normal. All I know about normal, it's a setting on my dryer. I mean, I don't know anything about normal. (laughs) We are so far (laughs) removed from normal. It's incredible. But it's so easy in life to kind of get beat down, to get discouraged over things that happen or don't happen. And what I want you to understand real quickly is that um, for for believers without joy, a sad spirit, revival's the antidote. Revival's the the solution to that, the remedy for that, revival. Now, most often when we speak about revival in the context of a a, a church gathering believer to believer, uh, we think about it in a a sense of a national revival or um, institutional revival. And certainly that's important without doubt and for our country, mighty important right now. But today, I want us to think about it from a personal standpoint, a personal revival. Just you and God, me and God alone, personal revival. You see, when our focus is on institutional revival or national revival, it's, it's convenient to take the spotlight off ourselves and begin to focus on someone else or something else. You know, if only this crowd would get right, if only this church would do better, if only this deacon would, you know, if, if only this person in the church. But let's not let's not think in those terms. Let's think about ourselves individually. The lesson for us today, the focus today, is where are we with the Lord? Let's think about it from that perspective. You see, if individuals are truly revived, then guess what? The church will be revived. And if enough churches get revived, those churches will make an impact on a community and thank God even the world. So it really boils down to you and me. Salvation is not a group thing, right? I mean, it's not like, okay, everybody in this town or everybody in this, on this block or everybody in this family. No, it's individualized and revival is individualized. But when enough individuals have that revival, experience that, then it does begin to affect a larger number of people. I know that's the burden on your pastor's heart. But I think the question remains, what is revival? What is revival? It's certainly more than a week of special meetings. Now, I'm delighted to be here, always honored to come. When your pastor extended that invitation a couple of years ago, if I recall, uh, to be part of this anniversary, I was thrilled, and I am thrilled, but it's more than just special music and a preacher coming in to speak and sing and minister. It's even more than being saved. Revival is really an awakening to the person of Jesus Christ. It's just contemplating all that he means to us, all that he's done for us. It's a, it's a, a new spirit of obedience to Scripture, it's a desire to have a, a, a visible passion. For the things of the Lord, first with God and then for others. You know, I, I believe I travel in almost every week in a different church, and if there's something that's missing in churches today, I believe it's passion for the right thing, for the right person. We get passion about sports and we get passion about the stock market if it goes well. We get passionate about our job on occasion. We get the passion about people or other relationships. But what about passion for God? What about passion for his word? What about passion for service? What about passion for seeing people come to Christ? Passion. Passion. But there's a second question. And that question is this. Can we really experience revival? You know, we hear about it all the time. We sing about it on occasion. Churches host meetings like this called revival meetings. I always marvel when I go to a church and there's a sign out in front, revival from this date to this date. Well, friends, if a revival comes, it's not from this date to this date. It doesn't just start instantly on cue and end when the preacher walks out the door to go to his car to go to the next church. It's not that way. It doesn't work that way, thank God. Is it possible? I believe the answer is yes. I believe that as individuals, we can experience revival. I believe as a, a collective body Ocean County Baptist Church, after 40 years, you can experience revival. You say, why? Well, first of all, God's word is still true. Secondly, God's spirit is still moving. And thirdly, God's forgiveness is still possible. When we look at our life and we know there's something between our soul and the Savior, as the old song says, we can get that right and God will forgive us and cleanse us and renew us. And strengthen us again with a passion for him. I want to go back to an Old Testament passage. It's one of my favorite passages in scripture. Uh, Second Chronicles. Would you find it? Second Chronicles. And it's a portion of scripture that helps us understand the condition of Judah at this time. And then a tremendous revival that took place in the hearts and lives of the people. 2 Chronicles chapter, we're going to actually be in chapter 29, but I want to give a little context in chapter 28. So 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Judah was in serious spiritual decline for many reasons. The king, Ahaz at this time, And all the people had really forgotten and forsaken God. Look at, and I'll just hit a few verses very quickly. Chapter 28, verse 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Now here's the statement that really tells the story. Verse 1. But he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Did you get that? Whenever that statement can be made about any of us, We need revival, or perhaps even salvation first. Then we come down to verse verse 19, as we think about this. Verse 19, the Bible says, For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he made Judah naked and transgressed sore against the Lord. And then we come down to verse 21. For Ahaz took away... A, a portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the house of the king and of the princes and gave it unto the king of Assyria. But he helped them not. See, they were in trouble, and so he thought, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just take stuff that should go to God and give it to this king, and maybe we'll get bail out of this. It didn't. Verse 22. What of a sad verse. And in the time of his distress, did he trespass, trespass yet more against the Lord this is that King Ahaz. Now think about it. When you're in distress, is that a time to run from God? Is that a time to violate his word? Is that a time to disobey? This COVID thing has been interesting to me. D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist, said this, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And the same word that can call pe- cause people to turn to God can drive others away from God. And so sometimes when situations come into our life, we, 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 can either, we can either view those situations as a door to grow and become all that God wants us to become, or a wall that just stops us. So when this was happening, I mean, just this, this chapter, if you just read it in detail, you can get a picture of it in a fuller way than I'm explaining today. But when that distress came, he didn't turn to God at all. He said he turned against God. And then verse 23, for he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus. It says that at the end of the verse that they were the ruin of him and all Israel. Verse 24, he gathered together the vessels of the house of God. And get this, he cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. And shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. Made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. What a despicable situation. What a sad situation. But thank God then we come to chapter 29. Chapter 29, verse 1. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old. And he reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. So Ahaz is dead. Hezekiah comes on the scene. And instead of continuing in the direction of his father Ahaz... There's a change. There's a revival that takes place. What a wonderful, wonderful picture. We're going to see it in chapter 29. But here's the question. Let me just give it to you right up front. What can we learn from this? You know, when we study the scripture, as we read the word, and the spirit of God speaks to our heart, the question is, God, what? What do you want to teach me? It's interesting. Yesterday we had a council that gathered together under the authority of your church uh, to examine four men for full-time ministry. And we asked all kinds of questions. I told them when we started. I've said, I've been at this 40, over 45 years. I got a lot of questions I don't know the answer to. I'm hoping you guys have those answers today. <laughs> and um, one thing I did notice that uh, when they were asked a tough question, they said, well, what would you do in this situation? They said, well, I'd call Pastor Weigel. I'd call Pastor Weigel. I'd call Pastor Weigel. And that, that's a good answer. So tonight at 530, if you ask me something, that I'm, I'm going to call Pastor Weigel. He's going to be on my, my phone. I can get a hold of him. But you, 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 think about, you think about this. There's something that we can learn every time we open the Bible. And so today when we journey through this 29th chapter, I want you to understand, this isn't just a message. This isn't just an outline. This is some, some way God wants to speak to our heart and personalize these truths. Now, notice with me seven characteristics of, of real revival. And as as we look at these, how many are real in your heart and mind? That's the question. How many of them would describe us as we think about our relationship with God? So the first thing about true revival is this, it is, it is initiated through surrender. In other words, it begins through surrender. So we look at chapter 29, verse 2, and it says, And he, speaking of Hezekiah, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. So Ahaz didn't do what was right. But Hezekiah came on, and he said, Here's my commitment. I'm going to do what's right as the leader. We need to do what's right as a nation. And it says in verse, in verse 3, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Boy, what a powerful thought. When I think about surrender, I, I want to just mention quickly two thoughts from these verses. First of all, he did that which was right. You know, if you please God, it doesn't matter whom you displease. But if you displease God, it doesn't matter whom you please. And so we can journey through life saying, well, you know, I've got to please this person or this person or myself or something. No, it's all about God. It's all about pleasing him. And if we're not on a pathway, if we're not on a journey of of going through this life with a heart to please God, we're missing the mark and we need revival. He did that which was right. Not his own will, not his own agenda, not his own decisions. God's. He was surrendered. And then I like the fact that he did write in the first month of the first year. You know, sometimes we sit in the church house and we hear preaching. We say, oh, you know, that's right, God. I'm going to get that straightened out tomorrow or next week or when I grow up or when I get old or when I have time. Not, not Hezekiah. He said, right now, first month, first year, he got down the business But the second thought is that he opened the doors of God's house. Remember, they were closed up in chapter 28. He opened them up. I love that word open. Revival only comes when we're open. Now, as you listen to this message, here's the question. Are you open to what God wants to say to you? When you hear uh, this wonderful couple sing this spiritual music, are you open to the message of that song? See, if we're not open, it's not going to come. I mean, we can have these meetings. I'm happy to be here, and I'll preach tonight and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and we can sing and have a big time. But at the end of the day, if we're not open, it's just going to be four days that we spent together. But where's God in all of it? That's the question. Open. Revival only comes when we're open. You cannot pour water into a bottle that has a lid. You ever try that? And God can't pour revival into a life that has a lid. we got to take that lid off. You, you, you ought to be saying, I ought to be saying, Lord, what do you want to show me this week? What do you want to teach me today? That's, that's, that's the heart cry. Some people, preacher, attend church with a, now it's not real, but when you're a preacher, you see it. It's kind of an out of order sign hanging from their neck. Okay, preacher, you got 30 minutes. I dare you to bless me. Let's rip that sign off. Let's say, Lord, what do you have for me? But the second characteristic is it involves sanctification. So if we're going to be revived, it doesn't, it's not just initiated through surrender. It involves sanctification. Look down at verse 4. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the East Street and, and, and said unto them, hear me, you Levites. Now, by the way, the Levites, I mean, these were religious people. These weren't wicked sinners. He said, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. The word sanctify simply means to be set apart. Now, when you're talking about set apart, it's from something and it's to something. That's what it means. In other words, we turn from this to go to this. That's what it means, set apart. It's it's really just kind of a twofold action. So the first step is to get the sin out. Notice the phrase there, carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this church house is not what he's talking about. We are the holy place. We are the holy place. You see, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. But today, God has a people for his temple. And, and, and when we're saved, the Holy Spirit doesn't come into a building, it comes into us. So we got to carry forth the filthiness out. So what is the filthiness? Well, it could be anything. It could be pride. It, it, it could be lust. It could be selfishness. It could be gossip. It could be pornography. It could be prayerlessness. It, it could be robbing God. I mean, there's a, a, just a list of things that as we study the scripture, it may be that we need to get out of our life. I don't know what it is in your life. You don't know what it is in my life. All I can tell you is we need to get it out. We're the temple of God. Paul said that in the book of Corinthians. You know, it's interesting. I was in higher education for 15 years. Served as a college president of a Christian college. And I realized that God can use people with a low IQ. We had a bunch of them. God can use Christ, Christians with, with little talent. Now, these folks have enormous talent. But God can use people with little talent. I've seen it happen. Some of the, some of the people that graduated from that college, I thought, in, in my flesh, I thought they're never going to make it. I didn't think they were going to make it through school, let alone do anything when they got out. Now I have the joy to go to these churches where they're serving as pastors and youth pastors and missionaries, and I'm just astounded. Because I would not suggest that they were the most talented people. In 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 the school or in their class. God can use people with no experience. God can use people that, that have less than the best personality. But I'll tell you what, God cannot do, He cannot pour His power into a dirty vessel. And so if we want the power of God in our life, we got to get the filthiness out of the holy place. That's sanctification. Reminds me of the college students that had the, the billy goat for a mascot. And, of course, as college students, they didn't have any money, so what are they going to do with this billy goat? They couldn't afford to board it, so they're debating about it, and they finally think, we've got to put the billy goat into the dorm room. So one student finally had enough sense to say, wait a minute, what about the odor and the mess? And someone said, oh, the billy goat will get used to it. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and the problem is we get used to it. So I'm asking you today, don't get used to it. Carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. But then the other side of revival is, or excuse me, sanctification is not just what we need to get out, it's what we need to get back in. Because when you come down to verse 15, it says, they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to do what? To cleanse the house of the Lord. Slip down verse 18. Then they went to Hezekiah the king and said, we have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering with all the vessels thereof, the showbread table with all the vessels thereof. Moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression. We have prepared and sanctified and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. They brought them back in. And so I say to you today, what do we need to be back in? Maybe prayer. Maybe Bible study. Maybe soul winning. Maybe giving. Witnessing. Many times I hear Christians use this two-word phrase, used to. I used to teach. I used to serve. I used to give. I used to pray. I used to. I used to. I used to. Hey, let's get that out of our vocabulary. Let's do what God wants us to do. Get the good stuff back in. Thirdly, it invokes sacrifice. Sacrifice. Revival invoked sacrifice, verse 21. And they brought seven bullocks, seven rams, seven lambs, seven goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. You know, the Old Testament sacrifices were a beautiful picture of Christ's death upon the cross. Many times you journey through the Old Testament, you see all these sacrifices, you wonder, what, what does all that mean? Well, at the end of the day, it really speaks about that ultimate sacrifice. Jesus was the final sin offering, Amen. He became sin for us. He knew no sin, but he became sin. Why? So that we who don't know righteousness could have his righteousness. That's the whole idea. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross for religion. He died so that we can have a relationship with God Almighty. They've been singing about the love of Christ. What a beautiful theme. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, Jesus Christ paid a debt we could never pay, Amen. shed his blood, gave his life. Maybe today it's not, the question isn't revival in your heart, maybe the question today in your heart is, do you even know the Lord Jesus? Have you, have you responded to that, to that uh, sacrifice when he went to Calvary's cross and gave his life and shed his blood to purchase your salvation and mine so that we could spend eternity with God the Father? That's an amazing thing to me. Do you realize God wants to spend eternity with you? That's an incredible thought. Eternity with us. But he does. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I plead with you, I beg you today, acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Turn to him by faith and say, Jesus, please come into my life. Cleanse me of my sin. Help me to live according to your word. Forgive me and save me. Make me a a child of God. And he'll do that. But you know, for those of us who are saved, it's not just a picture of his sacrifice for us. This is a picture of our sacrifice for him. You know, he's done so much for us, my gracious. I think a revived believer, pastor, is a serving believer. I think a revived believer is someone who is, it's not just all about me, it's all about what I can do for others. How can I be a blessing? How can I be a help? How can I touch somebody's life? How can I lead someone to Jesus? How can I serve the Lord? You know, the, Paul, the Apostle Paul talked about the fact that we ought to be a living sacrifice. In the book of Romans chapter 12, a living sacrifice. Often I hear people say, you know, I love Jesus so much I would die for him. Well, I can, that's commendable. But a better solution is live for him. Amen. I mean, we die for him. We need to live for him. The songwriter said, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Our time, our talent, our treasure, all of it. King David said it wisely. 2 Samuel 24, he says, I will not offer unto the Lord of that which doth cost me nothing. In other words, why should I give God the leftovers? Or something that doesn't matter to me. Something that, that's not important to me. We ought to be giving God that which is important to us. For some of us it may be our talent, boy, these folks are talented. You may not have that talent, but you may have talent to work with babies in the nursery. You may have talent to greet people when they walk in the door of this church house for the first time. You may have talent to run all this equipment, boy, that is out of my wheelhouse for sure. Technology, are you kidding me? I spend half my life using it and the other half hating it. I said to my five-year-old grandson, I said, listen, you got to set the controls on the TV so that you guys don't watch something you shouldn't watch. I don't know how to do that. A phone? I'm so annoyed by it. Talents. What about our treasure? For many of us, it's time. My life, it's time. It's this time. Giving God Time. Remember the time I preached and there was a man on the front row with a stopwatch. Boy, he held it up and he'd look at it and snap it shut. And preaching away, he'd take it out again, he'd look at it, snap it shut. Take it out and he tapped it like it was stopped and Turned it so I could see it. And none of that intimidated me. But the lady on the back row with the calendar, now that bothered me a little bit. It's time. Let's give God what's important to us. By the way, he gave us what was important to him, Amen. his son. And Jesus gave us what was important to him, his life. Number four, it increases our singing. Verse 27. It says, and when the, I'm going to jump in the middle of the verse, and when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also. It says, with the trumpets, with the instruments ordained by David, the king of Israel. All the congregation worshipped, the singers sang, the trumpeters sounded. This guy does it all. And uh, continued until the burnt offerings was finished. And when they had made an end, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. Boy, when they did that, they were acknowledging you're God and we're not. They were acknowledging you're not just the creator, you're the redeemer. They that. But notice the singing began when the sacrifice began. When we, when we really came to the point where we sacrifice, that's when the song comes into our heart. That's when, it, then, that's when it becomes real to us. Vibrant. If you want to be joyful, if you want a song in your heart, learn to sacrifice. <laughs> that's really what it's all about. So many believers have lost their joy. No song. No song in their heart or in their life. You know what? Revival. Revival can put that song back in. Then number five, Revival ignites our stewardship. Verse 31. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now ye have consecrated yourselves unto the Lord. Come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. And the congregation brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, as many as were of a free heart burnt offerings. Folks, we do not give to take away our sin. We give because our sin's been taken away. I love that phrase, thank offerings. When our children were really young and they were trying to figure out all these things we were doing as Christians. And for many years, most of you know, I served as a pastor. And so they would wonder about it and they would ask questions about it. And when we would write out our tithe and offering envelope, they would ask what that is. And when they were really young, I just simply said, it's a thank offering. Because God has been so good to us. It's a thank offering. It's not a payment. It's a thank offering. There's a difference, by the way, between a tithe and an offering. A tithe is what we pay the Lord according to his scripture. A thank offering is beyond that. It's generous. What a wonderful thing it is. Revival. If if you're struggling with stewardship, your time, your talent, or your treasure, I I guarantee you um, revival sets all that right. Number six, it invigorates our service. It invigorates our service. Look at verse 35. And also the burnt offerings were in abundance With the fat of the peace offering, the drink offering, for every burnt offering. For the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Boy, I'm in different churches every week. And uh, it's sad to me sometimes when the pastor has to stand up and beg people to serve. Plead with people to serve. And if the pleading doesn't work, then he bribes them to serve. And if bribing doesn't work, then he guilt trips them to serve. And if that doesn't work, he just screams at them to serve. None of that should take place. We, we should be willing. We should want to. Now, again, we're not, we don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same talents. We don't all have the same abilities. We don't all have the same schedule and time. But what we do have, we need to be giving to God and serving him. A revived believer is a servant. That, that's what impressed me about those four men that we, we spoke with yesterday in the, what we call interrogation. <laughs> Pretty heavy word. They're servants. They're servants. That's what's so precious, for a church to be filled with people who serve. You know, let me just state it this way. If, if you're saved, you've been saved to serve. You know, Ephesians 2.8.9 talks about how we're saved by faith, and it's God's grace, amen. But then verse 10 See, salvation comes between verse 9 and verse 10, and verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So in other words, if we've received that that wonderful gift of salvation, that grace of God working in our life, and we trust him by faith, then we're to serve him. We're to serve him. You realize God could have taken us to heaven two seconds after we got saved. I was an eight-year-old kid. I mean, literally, two seconds after I got saved, God could take me to heaven. You too. But he didn't. He let us remain. So as the songwriter said, we could rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. That's why we're here. And again, we we go about that differently based on our gifts and our time and all the rest. But that's the mission. That's what we ought to be passionate about. The church is full of willing people. Half are willing to serve. The other half are willing to let them. I think there's a better way. Someone said the church is like a football game. This is a football season. In a football game, you got, well, not anymore. Maybe in college. Let's go there. Nobody's in the stands for the pros. So in, in college, you've got uh, you know, 22 men on the field desperately needing a rest. I don't know, 30,000 in the stands desperately needing a workout. I think that's how the church is. We've got a handful of people serving and working, and the rest of them kind of stand back and clap them on hey, let's jump in. A revived believer is a serving believer. But then lastly, finally, I think revival impacts us suddenly. I just think all of a sudden, God just grips our heart. He points out our deficiency. He points out the direction we're headed. The Holy Spirit of God, using the word of God, just, just arrests our attention. Look down at verse 36. And Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people that God had prepared the people For the thing was done suddenly. You know what? I don't know that you came here this morning expecting to hear a message on revival. But you did. You heard it. And may, perhaps, the Spirit of God spoke to your heart today. And perhaps something in this chapter arrested your attention today. And suddenly, today, maybe for the first time in a long time, you thought I got to get back to God. I got to I got I got to have that passion again. I've got to walk with him again. I've got to rejoice in him again. I've got to be close to him again. I want my life to count for him again. When God sends revival to a life and a heart that is open and surrendered, it often occurs suddenly. Maybe today for you. I hope so. I hope so. And I hope that you'll come back tonight and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and let God continue to speak to your heart and open it. Maybe today step one was where you're at. Maybe you just need to open it up and say, okay God, I'm listening. I'm not ready to make decisions, but I'm listening. I may not be ready to run down the aisle, but I'm listening. That's the first step. And that's the right step. Would you pray with me? Our heads are bowed today, our eyes are closed. First, I would ask you today, is there anyone among us who would say, you know, I don't even know that I've trusted Jesus as my personal savior. I I don't know that. In fact, if I were to die, I don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell. I don't don't know. Would you pray for me, preacher? I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna point to you. I I just want you to know quietly and privately But I want to carry that burden for your salvation on my heart as I I leave this building today. Would you just say, pray for me. I need Jesus. I wonder how many of the Lord's people would say, preacher, what I need in my life, and what what I think our country desperately needs is revival. Pray for me. I want it. I need it. Just lift that hand up. Again, I'll not embarrass your hands throughout this building. Are we open? Are we open to what God wants to do? Are we listening? I sure hope so. Father God, we love you today, and we thank you for your word. How powerful, insightful you've prepared us, Lord, through beautiful music. The word of God has made a difference in our hearts, and I ask that you would do something special in every heart, in every life, not just this morning, but tonight and throughout this week. May this 40th anniversary revival celebration be all that you want it to be, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.